it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello, welcome to this episode of New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks for your company. Can you believe this is the first New Horizons for 2022? How time flies. This week we feature the first in a two-part series of a conversation I had recently with Errol Ingram. Errol is an orientation and mobility instructor who is based in Tasmania but has worked all over the country. He's working now as an independent provider under the NDIS and My Aged Care. Errol, thanks for joining us on New Horizons and welcome. Yeah, thanks Vaughan, no worries, glad to be here. You're an orientation and mobility instructor, you've been around quite a while. Give us a bit of an idea of um, some of your work that you've done and uh, and where and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, well I've been a mobility instructor, I think this year's my 40th year, so that's quite a while. And um, started in 1981 and um, I really came into it by accident. I was trained to be a, like a primary school teacher but in New South Wales, but... There weren't any jobs around, so um, I had to wait about 12 months. And one of the things I applied for in the 12 months was to go and study down in Melbourne to be an orientation and mobility instructor. And I, to be honest, I didn't even know what that was. I had no experience really at, with working with people who were blind or vision impaired. Um, but it just sounded interesting. There was something about it where I felt I could use my teaching skills that I developed in in teachers college um so it just sounded like a really good idea so i went down and yeah really i've been doing that ever since so i think i developed uh, an early interest and passion passion for it um so since 81 i started my career at guide dogs new south wales act uh, working out of sydney and then um joined the royal blind society of new south wales that was sort of the um uh predecessor predecessor it was the um it was before vision australia um took over um so our royal blind society of new south wales was a very different service it wasn't just mobility they had counselors and braille teachers and so i got a good grounding there and then i got a job as a I experimented with rehabilitation teachers for a while so i was teaching braille and typing and uh, as well as mobility and I had a big area I worked out of Armadale and did the whole New England area and the upper north coast north of the big banana in Coffs Harbour um, so I did that for five or six years went into management after that I became a team leader in Sydney and um, became a client services manager of different organizations so kind of brings us up to today where I have my own company Blind Focus and just uh, for those who may not be aware, just in brief outline what orientation and mobility is all about. Well, you know, like in the textbooks, it's def defined as the ability for someone who's blind or vision impaired uh, to be able to walk into um, any environment and be and be safe and independent. But I actually think it's more than that. I I think it's really a means to an end for someone who's blind or vision impaired. One of the big challenges in life that they have to contend with is being able to walk around safely uh, number one but also think there's a few other things there's independence of course but there's also being effective and efficient and uh, and confident 
in the ability to walk around. So it's not just a case of walking around using a stick. I think, um, and by stick, I mean the white cane. You know, again, that's just a means to an end. I kind of see the white cane as a tool to do a job. It'll protect you, give you some information about on the ground. And if it's a white cane, it'll let other people know that you're vision impaired. So again, that's the, a basic tool for the job. And I guess you could say the same about a guide dog as well, that it's a... Uh, it's part of the um, the way of getting around effectively. So I think orientation mobility, set of skills that were developed um, at the end of the Second World War and since then modified. Um, that's really a very systematic way to use the um, use the white cane, but also to use a lot of cognitive abilities to problem solve and real focus on non-visual landmarks and clues. So working looking at things in the environment that kind of let you know where you are and where you're going to. And um, when I work with clients, you know, we very much sort of work through those suite of skills and strategies um, that they can develop for themselves. And I kind of coach them in that process. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Uh, each of those things, I could talk a long while uh, for a long while about what it's all about, but basically I think that's it. It's a set of skills and strategies to be able to move around independently, safely, effectively and efficiently and, and make and also make decisions about um, where you want to go and who you want to go with. So mm. I think there's a physical environment that you learn, but there's also the social environment as well. And often that's the big challenge, the social environment. And I think it's one of the biggest uh, fundamentals, isn't it? Particularly for somebody who loses vision later in life is being able to recapture that freedom that uh, orientation and mobility can give you. That ability to self-motivate. Uh, and when I say self-motivate, I'm not talking about in the psychological sense. I'm more talking about, as you said, make the choices about where you want to go, how you want to get there, with whom you want to get there, uh, and when you want to get there. Because you know, if you constantly wait on other people, you're on their timetable, not so much yours. Oh, that's exactly right, Vaughan. I think um, part of the mobility training, you know, factors that in, that all this very, in sometimes small choices that are made about, you know, what we're doing and where we're going, um, really help to kind of empower the person and to build that skill of being able to make those decisions. And often see that as... Mm, I would think a byproduct, but I think it's a very integral part of a good mobility program is that the person starts to speak up a little bit more for themselves because that's that dealing with the social environment. You need to be reasonably assertive. You need to be reasonably um, self-reliant. And sometimes, you know, especially when people have lost their vision later on in life during, uh, well, even in teenage years, young adulthood, middle age, you know, that's a thing that can take a real big dent because they're comparing it to how they got around visually. So it's building a new set of skills um, that really kind of give them the competencies and also the confidence to be able to take more responsibility for their own mobility. And for in and I think the byproduct is that take more responsibility in their own lives and be a bit more assertive too in their relationships. Mm. One of the things that I really hope to understand more about through the series of uh, speaking to independent service providers in the blind and vision impairment space is 
the reasons why people choose to do it. Now, historically, orientation and mobility has been provided by large organisations like Guide Dogs organisations or Vision Australia or the, the organisations uh, that were uh, Vision Australia's constituent parts for, for a number of years, the RVIB, the RBS, uh, the Royal Blind Society in Queensland uh, and others. That's been done usually with government funding, but of course the NDIS has brought about a huge change in the way that services provided and has really opened up the doors for independent providers. Errol, you're one of those. Why have you chosen to be an independent service provider rather than for working for your uh, your local state organisation? For me, personally, it was you know the right time in my life to do it. Um, I'm getting towards the end of my career um, but I think for somebody who is just maybe starting out on their career, it's really good to work for for an organisation like the ones you mentioned um, to get an idea of, you know, have a structure to work with and, and also to understand how to case manage and manage a, a big caseload and, and some of the other factors that come into it. But for me personally, I've sort of been there and done that and I've enjoyed my time doing that. But for uh, in oh, a couple of years ago, I finished my doctoral thesis, and I kind of really one of the things that I developed from doing that was not just the piece of paper, but my topic was on how um, people who are congenitally totally blind acquire life skills through childhood and adolescence, and and how that's impacted on them as young adults. So we interviewed a bunch of people and their parents. So. The kind of findings I got from that research really informed my decision to go out on my own because um, I really wanted to put some very key values, and I kind of mentioned some of those before, the way I see mobility and the way I think mobility um, is most effective, put it into operation without kind of having to worry about a lot of the organisational factors of working even in a even in a team, but also in a multidisciplinary team, I still work in those teams, but they're usually with other independent service providers. Um, I think it was just the right time for me, you know, and confidence in my own skills. Um, I was going to say the byproduct doing the PhD was just a confidence in my own way of doing things that I think works, and I really didn't want to compromise on that at all or have to fit in to say an organisation's mission or set of values but you know have my own company where I could kind of express that do things in my way which very much I see and I would argue is very much in line with what the NDIS is is aiming to achieve with choice and control and providing funding to clients to be able to afford um, to do that and invest in you know I see it's an investment in their quality of life so you know I really kind of want to just think about client issues these days and not necessarily organisational issues, even though, of course, I have to think about my own company. But, you know, I've done enough management to realise I can do that in a highly effective highly effective way and I'm fairly confident with that. So I think the time was right. Uh, if the NDS, NDIS wasn't there, I wouldn't be able to do this. It's something I wanted to do probably 10 years ago, but the time wasn't right because the clients didn't have the funding um, to make those decisions about whether they wanted, you know, an independent service or a service from the organisation. So now I find they've got a choice and, you know, I think that's a really great thing, uh, a really mm. great thing. 
a lot of the clients that I've spoken to who use independent services for things like orientation and mobility and assistive technology and others do so for a number of reasons, but among them is that um, there's less mucking around, um, there's less organisational politics, and um, they can just get in and just deal with the service and then be done with it. Do you think that's a fair assessment? And is there anything else you think that um, clients benefit from with uh, independent providers? Yeah, I, I can't talk about other independent service providers, just myself, but I've found people have really enjoyed, I guess, the flexibility that I have. Um, big downside of being an independent service provider is if, you know, the person needs to cancel or I've got them booked in and it doesn't happen, I don't get paid effectively. Um, so I'm I'm kind of motivated to, to, to see people, but I'm kind of working more on uh, quality rather than quantity. So I have a very small caseload and I kind of see them as, uh, you know, I provide a very personalised, individualised service to them and, and work very closely with them on the development of that program. And so I factor in all the... One of the things I have, have noticed is... Um, People have complicated lives. They've got family issues. They've got other appointments that they're going to, and they have to prioritise different things. So try and provide a fair bit of flexibility. Uh, don't try and lock people into service agreements. Um, try and be really flexible around that. I kind of figure part of choice and control is, you know, basically if I'm not meeting uh, their needs or I'm not the means to achieve their goals, that it would be better if they found somebody else or, you know, I'd help them to find that person. And I think that's because, you know, at the end of the day, that's really why I'm doing this. I think being an instructor, I keep thinking about retiring, but I kind of find working in this way is really adding to my quality of life because I'm helping other people achieve a better quality of life for themselves. And but if a person said to me, look, I really don't think, you know, that's working for me or it's not a really great fit, you know, I'd be really respectful of their, their ability to go and meet and work with somebody else. And we'll feature the second part of Errol's interview in next week's program. Don't forget the Office of Blind Citizens Australia is currently closed. It will be opening next week from the 10th of January. In the meantime, I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks once again for your company. I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Of our dreams.